0: One of the things about being a parent is you hear one little phrase all the time. Not fair. It's not fair. Now, I love to try to be fair to my kids. But honestly, like you can't divide a bar of white chocolate into thirds perfectly. At least not enough for my kids. (laughs) And I know my parents had the same issue because... I very distinctly remember their policy, especially for Christmas, was to spend exactly the same amount of money on each kid. I mean, literally sometimes you would get like $2.58 in your stocking to make it exactly even. They explained this to us over and over and over again over the years, but it didn't matter because when you came down the stairs and you walked into the living room on Christmas morning, all that mattered was who had more boxes and the bigger boxes. Not fair. You know, not fair and being so obsessed with fairness has a way of keeping us from appreciating the gifts that we have. And that was a problem in Jesus' day, too. It was. It's particularly a problem, I think, for those who are religious people. They often are more concerned with what they don't have than appreciating what they do have. And again, that was a problem in Jesus' day. This semester we are looking at this question. Who is the real Jesus? Lots of different ideas about what He was like, about the things that mattered to Him. Tonight we're going to look at a parable. Now maybe some of you have been around Christian circles and you've heard that that word parable. A parable... Is a story, and Jesus told lots of stories. It's interesting, though. He didn't start out His public ministry teaching in parables. He really doesn't begin to teach in parables until opposition rises. So think of parables. They're not just illustrations. They're not just little stories to make a point. They're not like Aesop's fables. Parables actually are a way of communicating through a story that has both the ability to reveal and conceal. You have, to, you have to enter into the parables to really understand what they're about. We're going to look at one of those parables tonight because it's hard to really figure out who the real Jesus is unless you know the kinds of things that He taught that were really important. And the parables are a great way at getting at some of that teaching. So we're going to look at a story tonight. Um, Sometimes it's called the tale or the, the parable of the workers. I like to think of it as the parable or the story of the compassionate employer. It's in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And if you want to follow with me, I'll read this. This is God's Word. Jesus said, For the kingdom... "...of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right, whatever is just. And so they went." He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. At about five o'clock in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Here ends the reading of God's Word. Pray with me, please. Lord, we do thank you for this parable. Even though it can be a frustrating story to consider, And we don't like the idea that you might be unfair or even teach something that would give that impression. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see what it is that you're trying to teach us through this portion of your word and help us to come to understand and encounter the real Jesus through this, your holy word. Send your spirit to that end, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So... This is a shocking parable. It's a little frustrating to people today to try and figure out what is this weird story where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a landowner who says, basically, I'm going to do whatever the heck I please, and you don't have a right to question me. It's kind of a strange thing. Is that the way you think about God? Is that the way you think about the kingdom of heaven? What is Jesus getting at? It was a shocking parable in Jesus' day, too. Now, here's what's interesting about the parables. Most parables have some outrageous detail. The trouble with us reading them is sometimes the outrageous details only appear outrageous if you understand the culture they're told in. There's a guy named Kenneth Bailey who spent really his entire teaching career in the Middle East. I think I've mentioned him before because he basically, made, for his whole career, would go to Middle Eastern peasants who still live very much the way people did in Jesus' day, and he would tell these parables to them. Now he speaks Arabic and Syriac and all these you know, kind of languages, and he would tell these stories to them and gauge their reactions. And sometimes there's very interesting reactions where you wouldn't expect them. For instance, there's a parable, the first parable Jesus tells about different kinds of sea, or different kinds of soil, and the seed that falls on different soil, like the rocky soil, and the path, and the you know, all these different, maybe you've heard this story, and then there's sort of a thing about how much it grows and other places it doesn't grow. And we all think it's a parable about about how you need to make sure you're not a rocky soil hearer. If anybody grew up in church or youth group, you've probably heard that. You need to make sure that if the word comes into your heart that you let it kind of flourish and grow, right? But if you tell that story to Middle Eastern peasants, there's one detail about it that will make them all go, oh, that's ridiculous. And it's not the rocky soil. It's that the good soil produces a crop a hundredfold because nobody in the Middle East expects that kind of return. But see, we're distant from that because of our culture. Now, there are similar things here. There are some shocking details in this parable that help us get to the heart of why Jesus told this story. And I hope as we go through it... um, I can explain that to you and help you understand why this parable is radical, but maybe not in the way that we might think. But even on the surface, even without that, it seems like a strange story. It seems that the employer plays favorites and doesn't reward people equally, doesn't it? You know, if there's one thing that people care about in our day and age, at least I hear them talk about it all the time, it's justice. Right? And this seems to be a parable that doesn't really reflect justice. And honestly, when you think about God, if there's one thing people demand from God, it's that he be fair. I have the experience regularly of talking to people about what God's word says about what he's like, and I get that response. Well, that sounds like God's not fair. And I would say, yeah, you, you know, that's a right... Concern, because God has held up his fairness as an important attribute, important part of who he is. So what's the deal with this story? All right. So first, you know, the story is about a vineyard owner who goes to the marketplace to hire people, except he keeps having to go back again and again and again. Now, my wife would tell you, I'm not very good at honey-do lists. And projects. Uh, I usually hire people to come fix things at my house. Because if ever I take on a little project, one thing I can almost guarantee you is I'm going to go to Home Depot two, three, four times. Because I don't really know what I'm doing, and I often get into a project and find I'm missing something, or I didn't get enough of this material, that material. I'm so unable to do that kind of stuff that I just have to go back and forth. Is that what's going on here? Is the vineyard owner just really bad at estimating how much work... It's to be done. Why doesn't he hire everybody that he needs at the beginning of the day? After all, it's, it's rather humiliating to stand in the marketplace all day and not be able to find work. Now, I don't know you guys live here on campus, but if you lived in my neighborhood, and you, if you've ever stopped and gotten gas at the Mapco near my house, you will see this play out every single day. Every single day, that I go to the Mapco, there are men standing there hoping to get picked up to go work. And it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, you feel their shame standing there. You don't want to meet their eyes. And that's very much the situation in Jesus' day, too. Uh, Ken Bailey says, this is a regular thing. Even to this day, there are certain places in a town where you know if you want to find a day laborer, you can go and you can make a deal with them, and you can give them work for that day so that they can go home and have something to provide for their family. But as the day goes on, as the day goes on, the prospects of being hired and being able to provide for the family become more and more remote. That's the picture. I want you to enter into understanding about what's going on here. The guy goes to the market, he picks out some men to work, and then he goes back. And look at, look at what it says here. About nine in the morning, this is verse three, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Now, maybe some of you read this and you thought, okay, he's going to blast them for being lazy. Because that's what religious people are always, you know, about, is like blasting people that are lazy and don't work, right? Especially the poor. It, it's, it's true. Like, that's the kind of thing that we think sometimes. That's not how he reacts at all. He's moved to compassion when he sees these men doing nothing because mankind was made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mankind was made to do good, honest work. These men are not able to work. They're not able to enter into the fullness of what God made them for. And the vineyard owner sees them and has compassion on them. And so he says, I'll pay you what's just. That's verse 4. He doesn't tell the the 9 o'clock in the morning people how much he's going to pay them, but he says that it will be what is right, what is just. And so they go. And then he goes again at noon, and he goes again at 3, and you get the feeling like he's doing something intentional you ever been in a situation where people, somebody's doing something that just seems like strange? Now, sometimes you get impatient. You're like, why are you doing it that way? Don't you know you should do it this way? Sometimes you may find it beneficial, like maybe with a roommate who like, puts the toilet paper on opposite the way you do it say Sometimes, maybe not in this case, but sometimes it's worth, it's worth pursuing that with curiosity rather than condemnation. We tend to first... Condemn when people do things differently or different than how we think they should be done. It's usually more helpful to approach with curiosity and say, why do you do that? Why would you do it that way? So it is at the parables. We should look at this and say, okay, that's odd. It's odd. And it's not like he just does it a couple times. He does it five times. Do You see? Jesus is trying to make sure you don't miss this point. If this was written down, it would be bold, underlined, and italic. Five times he goes. And just to make the point really clear, the last group he goes, he gets them when there's only an hour left in the working day. And he says, you come and work. He doesn't even say they're going to pay him, these guys, but they come anyway. Why? The best explanation is not that he can't manage his work very well. It's that he has compassion for these workers. I mean, what's interesting, what's interesting is to think about the grace of God in this way. Because I, I think you'll never really understand the grace of God until you see that it comes to us not based on how much we can contribute to his team. And while I know that there's not very many Christian churches that would teach that the reason God would love you is because of what you can contribute to his team, honestly, I think that's the subtext way more than it should be. I think a lot of people who grow grow up in in sort of this religious southern world that we live in, a lot of us down here, get get the message that my value to God is based on what I can contribute and how well I serve him and how well I can try to get other people on his team. I think that this parable challenges that. He doesn't pay people based on what they contribute or even how much work they do. He pays people based on his compassion and his care for them. It's, it's pretty interesting. They all get paid the same. So there's an intentionality in the fact that he goes five times and keeps getting more people to come work, right? tells them he'll be just with them and will do the right thing with them. And then finally he goes and he gets these people at the very end of the day. Right? These are the guys that have no hope. There, there really isn't any reason why they should still be there. They've been there all day long. This is the Middle East we're talking about. It's hot. The, the parable even mentions the burden of the day and the heat. They've been standing around all day. And it's not just, again, it's not just that they're lazy. There's nothing in the parable that suggests that. They're ashamed because they can't find work. Right? And yet they get work. I mean, it's amazing that they stay to the end of the day. And you have to wonder, why did they stay that long? I think the best suggestion is that every time they see the guy come back, it gives them a little more and a little more understanding of his character. Do you know, in the gospel, in the good news, which Jesus calls the kingdom, he talks about how he's come to preach the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And here's a parable where Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is like a vineyard owner who goes back again and again and again to get people who have no ability to earn what they need, who are ashamed as they stand there, unable to provide what they need. And he makes it abundantly clear that he's hiring them, not because he needs them, but because of his compassion. And they're seeing that progressively revealed. Every time he comes, they get a little more insight into his character. This is a guy who's doing something odd. Why? What's it about? Well, he came at three. He didn't get us then. But maybe he'll come back. And he does. And by the, by the last guys, he doesn't even have to promise to pay them. Why? Because his character has been revealed through his continued visits. That by the time he gets to the last group, they're willing to follow him, even if they don't understand what he's doing. Because something about his character has been revealed. See, the gospel is the supreme revelation of the character of God. And everything about God that's revealed in the gospel gives us reason to trust him. The grace that God extends to mankind is seen in this parable is not based upon how much you can contribute or how much value you contribute, but by God showing mercy and grace. Now, there are three shocking twists in this, in this tale, and they would have been very evident to people in the first century who heard this. Let me go through them and help you understand. The first shock is in verse 4. Sorry, I don't know why I said verse 4. It's really 9, right? Uh, No, no, where is it where he talks about the the foreman? Yeah, verse 8. I wrote down the wrong thing in my outline, sorry. When evening came, it says, The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages. Now, anybody in the first century hearing this, What? There's a foreman? There's a foreman? There's an estate manager is what this guy's job would be? Not the owner, but the guy who manages. You see, in the Middle East, farmers are gentlemen farmers who live in town. They don't go out to the farm. They don't hang out out at the farm. They don't get involved in the work. They hire an estate manager or a foreman, as some translations say, to hire people and to work for them. There are other parables that even mention this. This is how everybody does it in the Middle East. And anybody that heard this story, when it gets to verse 8, they would have said, what? There's a foreman? Why in the world did the vineyard owner take that dusty, hot miserable trip back to the marketplace over and over and over again all day when there was a manager who should have done it. So that would have been the first shock. And I think what the parable is saying is that compassionate mercy is best delivered in person. It's delivered in person. In other words, what the Gospel says is that God didn't stand up in heaven and shout down some instructions to mankind. As the Bible says, God took on human flesh and lived among us. Compassionate mercy is best delivered in person. And that's what's going on in this parable. The second shock is the owner orders the manager to pay all the workers the wage. So they all get paid a denarius. The denarius was the typical wage for a worker for one day. One denarius for one day's work. They all get paid the amount of work that would have been due them and would have been expected. And it's paid to everybody, right? And that gets to the third shock. It's not just that he pays everybody the same. What really makes this parable shocking is that the owner deliberately pays the five o'clock people first. Do you see the intentionality in that? Why? Because he wants to frustrate the all-day workers. There's no other way to understand this. Not only does he hire people intentionally at different hours of the day, pays them the same, but he wants to make sure that everybody knows what he's doing and that he's paying these one-hour workers the same wage that he's paying the all-day workers. And so he pays the one-hour workers in front of everybody else while the other people all see what they get paid. And you better believe that they're mad. As it says, they expected when he pays the one-hour workers at Denarius, the terrible says, they're all expecting, oh, we're going to get a bonus because we did more than an hour. We've been here all freaking day. And then when he pays them, you can feel the tension. So he pays the 3 o'clock people a denarius. Well, that's okay. They were only here a little longer than the 5 o'clock people. Then he pays the people that came at midday a denarius. Okay, what's going on here? The 9 o'clock people get a denarius. And finally the full day workers get a denarius, and they are hot. And they let him hear it, don't they? What's the deal? Unfair. The master responds. What's he say? He says, I'm free to do what I want. It's my money. I can do what I want. If I choose to pay these men what I want, that's no concern of yours. How does that sit with you? You know, for a lot of people, they think the real Jesus is this poor, pitiful, impotent creature knocking at the door of their heart just begging for you to give him a chance. That's not the picture of this parable. Is it. And I think it's it's important that you understand that the real Jesus says, I have a right to do what I want with what is mine. Now that's humbling. It's good news to those who realize that they didn't contribute very much. The 5 o'clock workers have to be ecstatic, right? The all-day workers are pissed. And the question for us is, Which one are you? Which one are you? Because if you hear this parable and you think that you're the all-day worker, then you don't like this very much, and you don't like God very much, and you're not going to like this message of mercy and grace very much. But to those who understand that apart from God's grace, they're going to be standing ashamed forever then you realize this is unbelievable. This is so beautiful. Now, Jesus tells this kind of message a lot. You remember the story of the prodigal son? It's really a parable about two lost sons. Because there's the son who leaves and goes and lives, you know, crazy and blows all the money. But the other lost son is the guy who confronts his dad for showing mercy to the younger son and says to him, all my life, Father, I've been slaving for you. And the Greek text literally uses that word. I've been slaving for you. You never gave me a calf to celebrate with my friends. And the father says, Son, everything I have is yours. Come into the party. And the older son refuses to come into the party. This is why Jesus regularly said, The religious people are the farthest away from the kingdom of God because they think God owes them because they, think they've been, they feel like they've been working for Him. This is why this is an upsetting parable. This is an upsetting parable to those who feel God owes them something. But to those who understand rightly that apart from God's grace we have no hope, this parable is incredible good news. And so it is. The Master has every right to say, I can do what I want with my money. But even more than that, the master also has the right to say, do you think, you workers, that you're the only one who bore the heat of the day? I could have had a siesta back at the house while the manager did this work. But I personally took on the heat of the day, personally came to you and hired you and brought you out to do good work that you would receive a living wage. You want to be richer at the end of the day? I've been chosen to be poorer at the end of the day because I gave money to people I didn't have to. Do you understand that? Not only is he saying, I'm sovereign and I have a right to do, he's also saying, I'm merciful and I have a right to be more merciful than anybody thinks would be reasonable. And then the story stops. Do you notice that? You don't know how they answer. Parables do this a lot. Here's here's what parables do. In every parable, in every parable, there usually is someone who is faithful and receives the kingdom of God. There's usually somebody who is opposing the kingdom of God. And the parable invites you to find your place in it. This parable ends abruptly. You don't hear how the answer, which turns the answer back to us. How do you feel about the mercy of God? Have you ever been frustrated at the mercy of God given to someone else that you felt didn't deserve it? Honestly. I think most of us probably have. Most of us can probably think of somebody who got some kind of blessing that they didn't deserve and they didn't appreciate. Be careful, you're very close to feeling like the all-day workers. Because the all-day workers feel like God owes them. Now, who do they represent? Some people say they represent the Pharisees. Other people say they represent the disciples who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Because what you need to know is, if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you're always in danger of feeling like you're owed because of that. And this is a story that comes in and says, wait a second, you're thinking about this all wrong. You haven't earned more because you've been with Jesus longer? (laughs) No. Rejoice that others are coming into the kingdom. Rejoice that the Father is merciful and seeking those who will worship Him, as Jesus told the woman at the well last week. Right? Rejoice, enter into this. See, Jesus is describing his own ministry in this parable. Jesus is the one who has come and borne not just the heat of the day, but he's given up everything beyond what was reasonable, beyond what he had to, made himself poor so that we could be rich. There was a song that came out probably about the time y'all were born, but it echoes a question that I hear all the time. What if God were one of us? Don't, so many people feel like God doesn't understand what it's like to be us. To that, this parable says, God certainly understands. But God doesn't just understand. God is the one who has come and at His own expense paid more than we possibly could have ever earned and given it to us who don't deserve it. Jesus is saying, ultimately, your place in the kingdom is about grace. And the same gracious status is given to you, whether you've been with Jesus a long time or whether you're just trying to figure out what this is about. How much you do for God is irrelevant to what God thinks about you. And until you understand that, you'll never be at peace. Because if life doesn't go the way you want, here's what happens. If life doesn't go the way you want, you'll feel like either God has disappointed you because he hasn't paid you what you deserved, or you'll look at yourself and say, I haven't done what I should have done. If you begin to, to substitute your own work for grace in how you sort of think about all of life, then when trials come, you'll think it's either God's fault Because you did everything you were supposed to do and he still didn't come through for you. Or you'll think it's your fault because you didn't do enough. You'll never be out of that trap unless this shocking message of grace, of a God who pays five o'clock workers the full denarius, everything they need for life. Unless that is the gospel you believe, everything else will trap you. And that's what got Jesus killed. Like lest you think, okay, that's kind of a ho-hump. No, that's what got him killed, saying that kind of stuff. Do you understand it's that radical? In your heart is the desire to justify yourself before God always. And it doesn't end when you become a Christian. So we need these parables. We need these stories over and over again. The gospel is good. It's better than we realize. Jesus, Jesus is so much better than we think, and his grace is so much bigger. Let's pray together, and then we'll sing the doxology.